Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Jerry traveled with Pope Francis to Cyprus and Greece December 2nd through 6th. We'll talk with him about the Pope's goals for the trip, some of the highlights, and how this trip fits into some of Pope Francis' larger international efforts. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny but slightly cold Rome, Colleen, as everybody gets ready for a holiday tomorrow. It's the 8th of December. In Rome, it's a big holiday. Oh, what holiday is it? The Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I'm going to New York for the, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. We're having a big celebration because we're sending off the uh, Dorothy Day canonization cause that I've been working on. So it'll be a big change for me coming from 80 degree weather in New Orleans to snow on Wednesday in New York. Grazie a tutti voi per il vostro ministero e il vostro servizio, in particolare a voi, sorelle, per le opere. All right, let's talk about this trip that you just got back from. You traveled with Pope Francis to Cyprus and Greece. And I wanted to ask you right off the bat, why the Pope decided to go to those countries? For two reasons. First of all, Greece was celebrating the 200th anniversary of the beginning of the revolution, which led to its independence. And of course, the migration question was center on both countries. Secondly, he was going to Cyprus because this is a divided island and has been since 1974. It got its independence from Britain in 1960. And this is very visible, this division, right? There's uh, there's a wall with barbed wire going right through the capital city where the Pope was. Yes, Nicosia, the capital city, the Vatican's nunciature, that's the embassy of the Vatican, is right in the no man's land. It's a buffer zone, which is protected by the United Nations troops. And in fact, there are 200 Argentinian troops there, and the Pope had a chance to greet some of them. But from the nunciature, he had a very clear vision. This is a divided city, just like Jerusalem, in a way. And he was very conscious of the tensions. You have the Turkish Cypriots in the south, where he was in the Republic of uh, Cyprus. You have the Greek Cypriots. And uh, you can feel strongly, especially in the speeches that he listened to from the president, from the Archbishop of uh, Cyprus, uh, the, ver- the feelings about Turkey had invaded. Uh, he spoke about a real wound to the country. 
but it is a divided country in Europe. And Pope Francis, you know, we've seen over and over that he likes to go to these places of division to try to be somewhat of a healing or reconciling force. And in fact, he kind of spoke to that on the plane on the way there. We're going to touch the wounds of humanity was the expression I think he used. And uh, surely you, you see the fact of the divided island, so the wound there, but also the migrants, you said. And in fact, in the buffer zone where the Pope was staying, there was a, a migrant who jumped over the, the wall and was actually a prisoner of the United Nations troops. The other side didn't want to have him in, and the Turkish didn't want him back. And so he, he may be one of the people that will benefit from the Pope's visit. Oh, okay. Interesting. Do you mean that he might be one of the refugees who the Pope might bring back with him? I know that was something that we talked about, but we don't have a lot of information on yet. Yes, we know that about the president of Cyprus said the Pope has arranged, is arranging for 50 migrants to come back. The Republic of Cyprus has 1.2 million and it's got 10,000 asylum seekers, migrants who've come through the north from Turkey. And Turkey seems happy to let them go. And so Francis has arranged, we're told, that around 50 will come, some before Christmas, 12 before Christmas, and then the others after Christmas. The president said that this is a signal to Europe. You've got to share. But Francis knows that there are countries in Europe which are closing. The, even Greece is building a wall now to Turkey. And it's, it's getting Israeli surveillance systems. And we know that in, in uh, Hungary, in Poland, we see what's happening. Uh, and Francis is saying those who are putting up walls and, and uh, barriers to the migrants in the name of Christianity, this is not Christianity. He, he, he made it very clear on the trip. Another wound that the Pope really wanted to touch in this trip was the division between the Orthodox and Catholic communities. He did a lot of dialogue during this trip with the Greek Orthodox. I've said before that I think since Paul VI was Pope, this is probably the most ecumenical Pope we've got. He has bridged the, the gap with the Orthodox in a way that was not imaginable 20, 30 years ago. They now embrace him as a friend, and you can see the body language, the, the atmosphere in his meeting in Nicosia with the Archbishop Chrysostomus II, the Orthodox Archbishop of Nicosia. And then the Pope went in there, and the whole conversation, the whole atmosphere showed that bridges were being built and had already existed, that they were walking over the bridge together. And when he went to Athens and he met the Orthodox Archbishop of Athens, Hieronymus, the man who also went with him the last time to the island of Lesbos, extraordinary what, 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 the, what, the, what that uh, archbishop said to him. And I, I, I really, I, I was very struck by his speech. He said, you were born and grew up and ministered to a country which knew hard adventures and great financial, class, and racial inequalities. That is why I have the certainty that your holiness, as the groundbreaking primate of the Roman Catholic Church, knows how to shake off the burdens of the past, and particularly those in connection with the events of the Greek national uprising. He, he was saying to him, I hold the person of your holiness in great esteem and affection. 
right from the start of your ecclesiastic course, you have ministered unto men by imitating our Lord, who came not to be ministered to, but to minister. I mean, this is high praise. And then he said to him, he said, our whole church will go behind you on the climate change effort. Now, this would be unthinkable. I, I was with John Paul II in Athens in the year 2000. And one, it was really difficult to get clearance from the Orthodox Church. And when they get there, John Paul II managed to to have a good relationship, but it was still, I would say, there were tensions were felt. It was a little frosty. This time, the body language, the embrace, the uh, the jokes, the the whole climate had changed. And the, the, here was the Archbishop of Athens saying, "You know, I really trust you." Basically, this was the bottom line. And Francis saying, I ask your pardon for the mistakes that the Catholic Church has made towards your Orthodox Church. Yeah, even though we don't think about it so much, uh, this is a really a wound with a long history, right? We're talking about a thousand years since this great schism. And you did have a, an Orthodox priest be arrested outside after kind of heckling the Pope as he came in. It got a lot of attention on Twitter that, that this person was, you know, interested in still fighting this thousand-year-old fight. But it's proof that there is a lot of division here still to be overcome. And maybe while we're talking about that, we can talk about what the religious makeup is of these islands, because there aren't a lot of Catholics there, right? These are majority Orthodox islands. And they are believers. They were preparing for Christmas. You see all the the signs of Christmas had come out when we were there. Cyprus, the population is just around 2 million. Certainly close on 80% are Orthodox. About 20% are Muslim. Less than than 1% Christian. And then in, in Greece, you have more than 10 million inhabitants in the country. About 86% are Orthodox. Again, there are various other religions. And uh, about, you can, tens of thousands only Hmm. uh, Christian. Of Catholics. Catholic, yeah. So it's a minor, it's a tiny flock. But the Pope's visit for them was extraordinary. It gave them encouragement. I I talked to some of the young people and they said, it's such an opportunity for us to even see the man. Mm -hmm. And he said to them, being small does not mean being insignificant. Being a minority does not mean being insignificant. Remember, the church in the world is a minority. How would you say that the uh, recent waves of migration into these islands has affected their religious makeup? There are two waves of immigration. There's first of all the wave of migrant workers who come to these lands. In in uh, Cyprus, when, when, when we had the mass in the stadium, I saw many Filipinos and I talked to some of them and I said, where have mm-hmm. you come from? The, every part of the Philippines they had come from, young and their children, and they'd been born there, some of them, so many. In Athens, at the meeting in the, in the parish, in the school run by the Ursuline sisters of St. Dionysius in Athens, just before he returned to Rome, the Pope met young people. 50% of the young people are migrants. And uh, the Pope looked out at, down and he said to the translator, he said, what do I see in front of me? It's a Macedonia. Macedonia in, in, in Italian means kind of a fruit cocktail, a fruit salad, where you have all the different fruits. And uh, the translator said to him, Holy Father, this is the future of the church in Greece. There were many Filipinos, but also 
from Poland, from Ukraine, from Croatia, and from Albania. I wanted to ask you one more thing about one of the Pope's main goals here. So we talked about encouraging these really small Catholic communities. We talked about trying to touch this division, especially in Cyprus. But another concern that the Pope spoke to here was about democracy. He was really conscious that he was in Greece, the birthplace of democracy, and that there are threats to democracy around the world right now. Yes, he, he said uh, we were witnessing a retreat from democracy, and not only in Europe. On the plane, he expanded a little on this, and he said uh, that uh, democracy is a treasure, and we have freedom in democracy. But he said it's not just the governments that that keep democracy going, also the people. And he said the threats to democracy are come from populism and from authoritarianism. And of course, he's reflecting what I've heard in the Vatican from many senior officials, that there's a real awareness that the spaces of democracy in the world are being reduced. Authoritarianism is expanding. Look what happened yesterday as we were coming back from, from uh, on the plane. We got news that Aung San Suu Kyi in Myanmar was being sentenced to prison. She's the standard bearer of democracy in that in that country, and uh, so you you see it. And uh, Francis is saying, "Wake up! It's everybody's responsibility." And uh, of course, the democracy gives more space to to religion. Authoritarianism reduces the space to religion. And above all, the Pope was saying, "You know, the dignity of people." is what is at the heart of it. We've talked before on this show about, you know, why it is that Pope Francis is so strong on democracy when he is one of the world's last absolute monarchs. Uh, and what it's come down to is that he sees it as a system of cooperation, a system in which people really have to come together, you know, to achieve this equal representation that they want. But the value in it is is really the coming together. He believes that that democracy is upheld by the people. And so when he speaks about the threats to it, he's really saying there's a threat to us working together. Yes, and it's, it's significant that he chose Greece. He said this is the cradle of civilization and democracy. Democracy was born here. And he said its fruits 2,000 years later we see in the creation of the European Union where you now have a half a billion people all united, with difficulty, admittedly, but 27 states of Europe now there and with others on the waiting list. And it made it very clear the union must stay together, that it has much to give the world beyond Europe. And of course, for the United States, we've seen the threats to democracy. I would really uh, urge our listeners, Colleen, to read his speech in Athens, the f- number one speech he gave, we can put it on the show notes, the full text, not just my story. Now, obviously, Greece is a place that is really close to Pope Francis's heart. He visited a big refugee camp there five years ago. So after the break in the second part of our show, we'll talk about Pope Francis's encounters with refugees on this trip and what his hopes are for what difference he might be able to make. Stay with us.
Pope Francis has called Europe's neglect of refugees a shipwreck of civilization, urging governments to do more to protect them. The Pope is visiting migrants on the Greek island of Lesbos, where more than 2,000 people are living in a camp for asylum seekers. Pope has been meeting refugees on the island of Lesbos and touring a temporary reception centre there that was set up after the well-known Mariah camp burned down last year. It's the second time the Pope has visited the island in five years. During Sunday's visit, he spoke about the plight of migrants and urged people to treat them with compassion. All right, so Jerry, let's talk about the big, big focus of this trip, which was really addressing the migration crisis. I know that Pope Francis made a number of stops at significant locations to refugees, including to a check-in center or like a center of arrivals for refugees arriving in Lesbos, the Greek island of Lesbos. Could you talk to me about what the main moments were uh, as regards refugees on this trip. Colleen, Francis met refugees five times on this trip, twice before he boarded the plane from Rome. He met a group of them at the, at the Vatican at Santa Marta, where he's living. He met another at a parish near the airport in Rome. During the trip in Cyprus, in Nicosia, he met a whole group of refugees. He had a ecumenical prayer service with other Christian leaders present, and he, he met them, and he had received their testimonies in advance. But listening to the four of them, he, he was moved, and you could see it on his face already. And so he had the prepared text, and so he started reading and reading and reading it. At a certain point, he stopped. Tanti dispersi. Ma guarda che questo abituarsi è una malattia grave. È una malattia molto grave e non c'è antibiotico con questa malattia. And he went into a passionate discourse on the refugees, the situations they've come from, the difficulty. He said, I listened to your story. And you could see he was almost distressed by what he had heard. And he said, you come, you leave situations like war, poverty, hunger, you take a perilous voyage and many of you die in the in the sea. More than 20,000 have drowned in what he calls now the the, the great the cemetery of, of, of the Mediterranean. And he was looking out the window. He could see out the door of the church and he could see the barbed wire and the, and, and the wall. And he said, what do you meet? You meet barbed wire. You meet a wall. You meet hostility. When you are asking for food, for help, for for freedom, for a chance for the future, it was so moving, Colin. I, I, all of us felt, you know, he he can't surpass himself with with the thing. And yet, next day, he was in the island of Lesbos. There's a camp there, like containers. There are two thousand people living there in containers. And when you say containers, these are just like little temporary metal houses, right? These are temporary metal houses, but each of them has, it's much better than the camp he visited five years ago. I saw that too. And we should say that the reason he didn't get to visit that one again was that it burned down a few years ago. And I am not surprised. You know, Colleen, I spoke to two police officers. I can't name them. I said, I, I visited that camp and I'm not surprised it was burned down. I said, people were desperate. It was a confinement camp. Francis talks about it like a, like a concentration camp. You, you were locked in. There was barbed wire, etc. There was barbed wire around this camp too, by the way, and walls. Here in this camp, they have each, uh, the families, they have, uh, they live in a container. There are many families. 
uh, and the container contains a, a shower, a toilet, and a kitchen. There are a thousand single young people in that camp, single. They've come by themselves without any other relatives, except maybe a brother or sister, but, but they're by themselves, no parents, no, no adults. It's called a reception and identification center. They come in, they're put in there, and they can be there for one to two years or more, and they have the possibility to make an, a request for asylum three times. And if you reject it three times, then you're repatriated. Oh, my gosh. Now, Francis was due to give a speech. Uh, and uh, there were about 200 people with many of the, 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 the migrants, refugees, asylum seekers in the hall. The president of the country also came. We're all waiting. He didn't arrive. The president was waiting. Francis was due to come in the car through the, this camp. People were on the side waiting to wave to him. They were, of course, behind fences. He decided no. He got out of the car and walked 500 yards, and he went and shook hands with some of them, patted children. He wanted to touch the wounds. Francis is a man of, always a man of gestures and words. And he said, like St. Francis of Assisi said, you preach the gospel by deeds, by actions, and if necessary, by words. I spoke to the Swiss guard yesterday, and I asked, you know, was this planned? Did you know it? He said, no, no. The plan was that he was going to drive slowly in the car and arrive on time at the center. Instead, Francis walked, and the people were delighted. And then he, he came and he gave this talk, and I urge our li listeners to read it. We've published it in America. I, I think his words... One cannot convey them better. Stop this shipwreck of civilization. It's a really strong speech. He he speaks out really boldly against you know villainizing migrants, but then he says specifically, we need to address the root causes of this crisis. We need to address these wars that are without end, that are so well funded. We need to address the causes that make people so poor that they feel like they can't live in their homelands. And he says that's what should be attacked, not the migrants themselves who are coming in the search of a better life. Colleen, I met a, a young woman with a child. She'd left the Congo because they wanted her to marry a very old man and she didn't do it. So she, she went to Turkey. She went and worked in, in a jeans factory. And she said the work was so hard, such long hours, that she said, I ended up in prostitution. And then she said, I realized I can't, this cannot be my life. So she gave the only possession she had, her cell phone, to one of these guys who run the, the boats. And she got a place on the boat with 30 people and they traveled at night, six hours. Now she's in the camp and she's had three rejections and she was with her 20-month-old child. So she may be sent back to the Congo. Well, she's just praying. The Pope met her and blessed her. Yeah, Jerry, so, so hearing the story of this, woman from the Congo who it seems like does not have a direct route, you know, to get to get anywhere better right now. And the fact that that story is repeated tens of thousands of times with all of these people, I I wonder what difference the Pope's visit could possibly make, you know? Francis, in his speech, this spontaneous one in Nicosia, he says, I'm sorry for speaking so brutally, he says, but I have to say things as they are. 
I feel I have a responsibility to awaken consciences. Francis is getting through to people. I see that he's reaching political leaders. Not all of them agree with him, but they're listening. In Cyprus and in Greece, the president of both countries, not Catholic, they came to his mass. And the president of in Greece, she was practically at every major event that the Pope had. They've both publicly praised him, and I've heard this in other countries too, the president's praising him for his concern for the poor and the rejected in the world. And Francis said, if you reject the poor, you reject peace. He's trying to change public opinion. Because as we see in the States, and as seen in Poland and Hungary and other countries, if the politicians are afraid of the public opinion, they know that if, if they go against public opinion, they're likely to lose the election. Francis is basically saying to them, stand up, have courage, live your humanity. You know, you're elected today, but and tomorrow, what? So some people are angry with him. Yeah, I think your point about public opinion is a good one because, I mean, it's true that throughout this pandemic, I think people have been paying attention to issues like migration less and less as they've been focused fully on the pandemic. But obviously, these issues intersect and they're not getting any better. And so for Francis to go to Cyprus and Greece and throw so much of the spotlight on these forgotten issues, really, uh, it it makes a big impact because Francis knows that people are watching him. And so he uses these trips to draw attention to the things that he doesn't want people to forget. Yes. They're not forgotten issues. People want to push them aside. And Francis said, we've understood with the pandemic, we cannot go it alone. What we need here is a global co coordinated action to deal with what is the greatest, one of the greatest humanitarian crises of the 21st century. So Francis is really trying to bring people together around these big issues. I want to circle back to this ecumenical question, because Pope Francis did put so much effort into meeting with Orthodox leaders, and then he spoke on the papal plane on the way back about possibly meeting with the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill. What was the takeaway from that? Do you think that this is bridging towards something bigger in terms of ecumenism? Colleen, for many years, the focus in ecumenism has been for a lot of the time on trying to resolve the theological problems. Francis said right at the beginning when he met Bartholomew, if we wait for the theologians to resolve the problems, we'll all be in the next world. But let us do what we can. We can pray together, and this is what he said in the plane. We can work together. We can do charity together. And he said, I am grateful to all the patriarchs and the leaders of the Orthodox Church who expressed a willingness to, go, to walk on this road. And he's met in Havana in 2016. I was there. I saw it. He, he, he met uh, for the first time in history in a thousand years, the patriarch of Moscow met a pope. And the patriarch really only told his synod at the last moment that he was this was going to happen because he he, he didn't wasn't sure he would have support now the pope revealed on the plane that this coming week the foreign minister the they call him chairman of for the external affairs of the patriarchate of moscow is going to come to talk with him about possible second meeting and to try and agree it and he said well patriarch kirill is going to go to finland well I'm ready to go there. I'm ready to go to Moscow. He's made clear he will go to the moon, 
to meet him. Wow. They're now into doing something together. And I told you, the Archbishop of Greece said, the whole church of Greece will go behind you. This is really new world. All right. So we will keep our listeners up to date on what happens with this historic, historic meeting and whether they get a second meeting. Uh, We'll keep you up to date on all of that on Inside the Vatican. If you want to find any of Jerry's stories or the speeches that we referenced today, we will link to those in the show notes. And you can also find several of those at americamagazine.org. Jerry, thanks so much. Thank you, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Ricardo da Silva. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And if you want to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.